You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Recorded live. To the Lord God, our Father. Good morning. I am Pastor Theodore with Jesus Christ Ministries Global. We are located at the Holiday Inn Express, 6860 Point Highway, Laplata, Maryland, 20646. If you're in this area, we'd love for you to join us. If you are joining us from near that and you're in this area, please feel free to enter into the sanctuary and worship with us. We'd love to have you visit with us. We have another exciting message from the Lord on this morning. But before we get to the message, I want you to Lift your smart tablets or your Bibles and be prepared to make our declaration on this morning. We always want to be in the right frame of mind. We always want to do the right thing, and we want to have the Spirit of God in this place and in our lives to guide us through the Word of God. Because on our own, we are at best failures in understanding God's Word. And at our worst, we just told it all. So let's lift our Bibles and our smart tablets and smartphones as we prepare and make our declaration on this morning. And please repeat after me these words. If I receive this word with my mind only, this word will be life for me. Lord, I don't need religious form and fashion. I need life. Now look at your neighbor or your children if you're at home or wherever it's with you and say, neighbor, let's get ready to receive some life in here on today. Praise God. Our scripture is coming from Hebrews chapter 8, verses 1 through 6. Hebrews chapter 8, verses 1 through 6. All that I don't complete on today, we will complete on next Sunday. That will be our first Sunday, only the music Sunday, and if you're in the area, please remain. Join us at the Holiday Inn Express, 5860 Crane Highway, Laplata, Maryland, 20646. Hopefully by now you've located the scripture, and if you will, just read along with me. Now, this is the main point of the thing, things we are saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. A minister of the sanctuary and of the tabernacle, which the Lord erected and not men. Verse 3. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it is necessary that this one also has something to offer. For if we were on earth, he would not be put a priest, since there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve the copy and shadow of the heavenly things. 
as Moses was divinely instructed, he was about to make as he was about to make the tabernacle. For he said, See, that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry in as much as he is also mediator of a better covenant, which is established on better promises. Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning that as we enter your presence and as I stand before your people as your servant, I ask now that you will minister to me and through me as you minister to all who have gathered to this service on this morning by your Holy Spirit. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for filling me and for filling all of us and preparing our hearts to receive from you this morning the glory, the glory that is of the Father, shone upon us through his word by the shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. Speak to us, use us now, that we may bring glory and honor to the name of God, our Father, through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. It is in Jesus' magnificent name that we pray and give thanks. Amen. Amen. For he is Lord. He is Lord. He has risen from the dead. And he is Lord. Every knee shall bow, and every tongue confess that He, the Christ, is Lord. Thank you, Father. Last Sunday, I concluded the message from chapter seven on the superiority of Christ's priesthood to that of Aaron with the practical argument concerning Jesus Christ and the believer. I highlight four perspectives or views of Jesus' superiority over Aaron. First was positionally. This Jesus is both high priest and he is located higher than the heaven, positionally. Within this view, we observe two things. First, every Levitical priest eventually died and was buried and remained buried to this day. And I highlighted number two, I highlighted the second thing is that Christ has two natures. We he is fully divine and he is fully human. Uh, and so many people get twisted on that, but Jesus Christ is fully divine, and because he is the son of God, he is the second person of the Trinity. And in fact, he is God. The scripture says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the same was with God in the, in, in, in the beginning. And then, of course, you go down, I believe, John chapter 1, verse 17, he says, we find that Jesus Christ is in the bosom of the Father from the beginning, which means he was not a created being, as some some faith, some religions believe him to be. And there are some who flat out deny that he uh, was fully human, 
But we know that Jesus Christ was fully God and fully man. Otherwise, he could not have suffered and died on the cross and taken the penalty for your sins and mine. And God never would have said that he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that would have believed in him would not perish but have in the last in life. So we have to understand that Jesus Christ was fully human and he was fully God. But he was not created. He, he, had, he was pre-existent, I am. So remember, when you're faced with a child, an argument like this, you may not be able to remember the scripture. You may not be able to make uh, uh, an argument that will support your stance on who Jesus Christ is. You can still stand on the fact that you know within your heart that Jesus Christ is both God and man and that he died on the cross as a human being to save you and me and all who would put their trust in him from eternal damnation and to deliver them from the power and the authority of sin over their lives. So that's the first thing. They put this for his put this positionally. Uh, and then of course the next is that we look at him characteristically, and so that is the second perspective or view of Christ superiority over error. And so within this view, we observe four particularly important qualities of Jesus our Lord. The first quality we observe is that Jesus is holy. The word holy speaks of the sinless life that he lived. To live a life, speak to live a sinless life, speak to the uniqueness of Christ as a person. He was born a woman, impregnated by the Holy Spirit, making him both fully human as well as fully divine God. In him, in his fully human nature, Christ was tempted as you and I are tempted with sin. Yet he was sinless outwardly, don't miss this, because he was morally pure inwardly. That's a challenge for all of us that walk on this earth when we are challenged by, are tempted by sin. Whenever there is a temptation, you better believe that it is, it is a, the root of it is a sin. And so you want to be careful what you say out of your mouth, what you do, how you behave, what you respond to, because you are not careful, you will be sucked in. And that temptation, and so he was tempted like we all are as human beings, but he remained sinless. And that was because he was morally pure inwardly. And many of us need to strive to be more like him and less like ourselves. Here's the second quality underneath this characteristic, or the second characteristic of, of Christ, and that is he is harmless. Think, uh, as perfect high priest. Jesus Christ was undefined. In mind and conduct, he perfectly, not, not sometimes, not every once in a while, not every now and then, but he perfectly fulfilled then and he perfectly fulfilled now and forever the divine requirements of God, which are, he fulfilled every aspect of the law that God had written in the Old Testament. 
This is as one who is thoroughly free from sin. He does not need bringing an atoning offering for himself. Why? I just said it because he is thoroughly free from sin. So like the imperfect priests of the Old Testament, they had, if you will, offered an offering for their sins as well as the sins of the people. The third characteristic that we see concerning Christ last week that we talked about is that he was undefiled. By examining Jesus' life, we discover that he was physically and morally pure. Perfect. In our society, one is hard pressed to find a young boy or girl, much less a young man or woman, who is physically untouched before marriage. Uh, don't get angry with me. And that is because of what they are exposed to in movies, in television, and in their neighborhood. It is seen as a badge of honor rather than dishonor. It is, a, it is a means of acceptance among their peers. It is a rite of passage, if you will, in the eyes of their peers. And the physical defilement of earth first in their mind. So when you reach the mind and the body, you will have the body. You will find that a lot of people out there, especially guys that are in girls, I'm sure it's all both sides, Never heard of the woman's side of it, but I heard the man's side of it. If you get their mind, you got everything. And it is so true. You get their mind and you get everything else. They freely give it up. And so the mind, whenever the mind embraces that truth, the heart will support it. And if the heart embraces that truth, the mind will support it. And guess what? They will succumb to and have and are succumbing to the temptations of sin. So, I ask this question of the parents and the youth alike. Who is speaking into your life? Who is speaking into your child's life? If we are to change communities through changing families, we need to observe, teach, and demonstrate the life that Christ himself is. If he can do it, and he said, be holy as I is your heavenly Father is holy, if he can say, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, then it must be possible. So we must eliminate the I can't, it can't be done, or it's impossible to then beginning to think that it is possible because God is Christ and Christ is God says that it is doable. Christ became a living example. So, who is speaking into your life? Who is speaking into the lives of your children? Uh, I believe that with all my heart, that young boys and girls, young men and women, will learn that it is okay to keep oneself for marriage, legitimate marriage, God's way. There is no shame in doing so. And see, that's the lie the devil tells us today. That and I have been speaking since this long time memorial. Oh, you don't have to worry about it. No, you don't have to do that. You, you're okay, and then you got this happening, and you have that happening. 
You just have to really be careful who's speaking into your life because it can ruin your life. So there is no shame in being kept until your marriage bed. There, but Christ has to, has to be modeled now, even though these things are happening, and we are going to change a community, to change a family, we have to model Christ in our home. And not just mention him as an afterthought or as a or use him as a baseball bat to beat your children into submission. No, that that won't work. It simply won't work because what that will that that's a, you know this as I was sitting this morning, early this morning, working on this sermon and thinking about it, I think that this is the fastest way to call your children to to resist Jesus Christ and to reject anything, any mention of Jesus Christ. The moment that you start shoving it down, shoving it down their throat, they're going to get to a point where they don't want to hear it anymore. You need to seek God for wisdom, but you also need to seek God in modeling Jesus Christ. You can't just tell people to do it. You've got to live it yourself. That's important. So Christ has to be modeled in our neighborhood. He has to be modeled in our school. He has to be modeled on our job. And the higher and he must be modeled at the highest level of our local state and federal offices. He cannot be just temporary. We must model Christ in every facet of our lives. Every believer is, is called upon, and I call you now, if you're on this, or if you're watching from here that I I challenge you to begin to model Christ if you're not doing it on your job. Stop being concerned about what people think. So what people say to think about you doesn't amount to a human being. They don't put food on your table. They don't put money in your pocket. They don't take care of your bills. God has got your back. Be bold. Declare Christ in your walk. The fourth qualification is that Christ was desperate. And that is to be separate doesn't simply mean that one does not associate with certain people. We must never come to that, to have that frame of mind or develop that kind of thinking. Because Jesus was not separated from sinners physically because it was the sinner that he came to seek and to save. If you, so, how, how do we know that he came to seek and to save? No, what is what he said? And his word is God, and God is pure. His purpose is absolutely correct. There are no errors in it. Those who fancy themselves talk about how we talk about Jesus' relationship with the tax collector, with the prostitute, and the common everyday workers. It is interesting how these people could readily take the money of the people that they don't want to have. Anything to do with, they'll take their money, they, they'll do all of that stuff, and they'll talk about them like a dog and say they are not worth their citizens. We don't want to be associated with them, but they will not hesitate to take their money. Very funny. And the common everyday work. So, and so, but good ministers, yeah, let me just say that. 
They will talk about them like a dog in their faces and dare them to say or do anything about it. Why? Because they were Pharisees. Because they were Pharisees. Because they were scribes. They knew the law. Well, see, knowing it and, and demonstrating it and living it and walking it out daily are, are two different things. They would readily take their money, but they would not minister to them to their spiritual hurts and needs. There's a problem there. How can you preach to me when you're not living the word of God? The Pharisees, for example, were offended because Jesus ate with sinners. Luke chapter 15, verse 2. This man received sinners and eat with them. This is what they said. But they're so, they're so high and mighty, they don't realize that they too are sinners. By sitting down at the table of fellowship, Jesus was able to be intimate with them. By intimate, I mean he got to hear their heart. You'd be amazed to learn how many ways people are hurting. And how many people are in despair in their heart? The hopelessness and the helplessness they are struggling with pain. You'll be amazed to hear this, and it's to find this out. But how can you if you will not sit down and talk with them? A lot of people think that intimacy is a physical thing. Intimacy is a a relationship thing where I listen to your heart and I experience, I understand you, and I get to see what you're dealing with, where who you are, the struggles, the challenges. That's what Jesus did. He came to seek and to save the lost. He sat there with them. He ate with them. He, he wasn't a sinner, and they didn't have to be a sinner to sit with them. It was only because he sat with them and got to know them that he could truly minister to them right where they were hurting at. Uh, don't miss this. So while Jesus now, let me get back up here. Right, so while Jesus ministered to them, they looked at him, and they said to him, they said to one another, how did you, how did it say that Jesus was called blessed and drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, prostitutes? Listen, while Jesus did not separate himself from those who entered the world to save, that he entered the world to save, he was separate because he remained sinless and because of his position as being made higher than the heavens. Unlike some religious leaders who fancy themselves above the common people, I don't know what that really means uh, because I guess I'm a common people too, uh, but who fancy themselves above the common person, Jesus is never separated from them uh, to whom he ministers. You have to watch and model Christ. If you are leading in the church, don't miss the elders, you are leading in the church, then you need to be able to minister to the needs of the people. You need to get to know the people. Can't sit back and just shout. Can't come in and look pretty and you can just sit in the front pews and just say, Amen, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus, get up and go home. No, that's not why you're called. That's not why you've been ordained. 
That's why none of us, whether we were ordained or not, can just come in and sit down and get the word and get down on the word together and go on. That's not what we're called to do. We're called to receive the word and go and proclaim Christ to a lost, to a dying and hopeless world. In this dark world, the only hope, true hope there is, is in Jesus Christ. There's no other religion on this earth. I don't care what people tell you, there's no other religion on this earth that can do what Christ can do. There's no other, there is another, there is no other religion on this earth that can claim to do what Christ can do and be true. There's many out there who pretend and think it and do all manner of things, but they miss out, my brothers and sisters, on who Christ really is. And so that's what that's where you and I come in at. We must be willing to go out on our jobs wherever we are and share Christ. If we don't say anything, Dr. Livingston in, in, in uh, Africa, I believe it was, a young man came and for his presence, Dr. Livingston, he said, never said a word to him. It made him all the more to become a Christian. We have got to have that kind of testimony. That's the kind of walk I'm talking about, where someone just sees you and they're in your presence and they just often make them move to the water, inquire about why you are so different. They want to inquire about your faith. Lord have mercy. I, I, you've got to love him. Jesus Christ is never separated from those to whom he ministers. He is always available to us at his throne of grace. And there is an open invitation to every person on earth. He says, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and you shall find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. No stress with Jesus. All you have to do is come to him. He will keep you. He will carry you. He will be there with you when you go through. He says, when you go through the waters, I'll be with you through the rivers. They won't overflow you. When you go through the fire, you won't be burned. Neither will the flames kindle upon you. Why? Because I am the Lord your God, and I will watch over you, is what he's saying. So you will never be alone when you have Christ in your life. Even if there's nobody else around, Christ is with you. God is with you. The Holy Spirit is with you. The fullness of the Godhead finally is with you. And there is an angel that's been assigned to watch over you. So you are never, ever alone. And know that. That ought to right there that you want to rethink why you do the things you do and, and, and re, do regroup and not and stop doing those things because you're being watched. Oh, yeah, you're being watched all of the time. And so he said, come unto me. And then in Matthew chapter 11, verse 23, John chapter 7, verse 37, he said, the invitation is always open if anyone thirsts let him come to me and drink. There's always the invitation for Christ to come. Whoever you are, he wants you to come. He didn't just come into this earth just so that you can hear a story about the historical Jesus and what he might or might not have done. He came in order that everyone who would hear his testimony, his gospel of his good news of his coming, would receive him as their Savior and their Lord. They be delivered from, their, from the penalty of the sins of their past and the stains of the sins of their
word and giving you eternal life and a new way of walking. That's what they want to do. And then, of course, the, the third um, characteristic was that uh, we talk about is efficaciousness. And that is Jesus has done all effectively, decisively, without anything left undone. He has done all that is necessary to free people from their sin and death, from sin and all, and, and, and eternal death, if you will. Ah, I love this. I love this type of sometimes. It just gets off my nerves. Excuse me. Uh, because he became the last and final sacrificial offering for humanity. Sin. That is, he died once for all for, and, and when he was offered up of himself. When he offered himself up, that was it. There was nothing else to pay for. There was no need for another sacrifice. He was the culmination of all that God had spoken in the Old Testament, right summed up right here in the New Testament. And then finally, the fourth characteristic of Jesus Christ is his eternality, or that his eternity. And because of the word of the old God, which was given after the law, Scripture says, appoints the Son who has been perfected forever. Jesus Christ is consecrated, set apart, by his perfected sacrifice and the consequent anointing and exaltation to the right hand of God the Father. I don't know about you, but that's something right there that tells us that we have an advocate in heaven that's watching over our interests and taking care of us by defending us in the presence of God. I don't know about you, but I'm glad that I got a defender, a defense counsel in Christ. I'm so glad that I have someone that will minister to me, but also minister in my, for my protection. God, I tell you, there are things that are happening behind the scenes that you and I cannot see, but I guarantee you, if you stop and think about it, when you fell asleep at the wheel and then you immediately woke up right before you ran into the back of another car and you were able to hit your brake, I'm telling you, someone is watching over you. God is watching over you. Christ is defending you today. Not yet, Father. I want to give them or her a little bit more time to hear my gospel one more time or a few more times. I believe, Father. I know that I believe. I know that he will come to you. But give him a little bit more time, Father. Somebody is watching over you. Somebody is that quiet. I don't know about you, but I'm grateful. That has happened to me more than once when I've fallen asleep. And thank God for waking me up just before I ran off the road and just before I impacted another car or just before I went into the median. Uh, I'm, I'm telling you, God is watching over you. Christ is defending you. So of Christ's kingdom, my brothers and sisters, there is no end. There is no end to his priesthood. And a priest is called to intercede and serve the people. So, let me move on. So in chapter 7, the Hebrews office considered the superiority of the new priesthood. For the Aaronic priesthood is no more now that Christ has fulfilled the law, and now the better high priest is who he is. It stands to reason, therefore, that such priesthood 
must have a superior priestly ministry. That it does is manifestly presented in this section of Hebrews, this eighth chapter we're talking about, it raises in into in the prophet, the epistle reveals that the new covenant stresses this newer priestly service. From our text is drawn three presented evidences, if you will, for the superiority of the better covenant of God through Christ presents presents over that of the old covenant. Number one is the covenant is ministered by Christ as superior high priest. Number two, we're going to discuss each of these. The new covenant is ministered in a better place. And number three, the new covenant is established on better promises. Let's take a look at this first. First division here, this, this this first, if you will, evidence of, of, of Christ's superiority over the ironic priesthood. Listen, in the covenant, the, the new covenant is ministered by Christ as superior high priest. Verses one and two. Now, this is the main point of the thing we are saying. We say we have such an high priest or a high priest who is seated, and I'm really used to reading the King James Version, so I keep throwing that hand in there. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heaven, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord created and not man. Remember, I don't know if you remember, a couple weeks ago I was taught on this street, and I talked about what I, what I love the book of Hebrews, and it's because the author is so skillful, if you will, in pulling from the Old Testament to make a point here in the New Testament and to the believers of today and those who will believe in the future until our Lord returns. He says, the author begins by pointing to the cross of that of all that has been previously discussed. That's what he means by now. This is the main point of the thing we are saying. He's now, he's getting ready to focus in, hone in on the crux of what he's trying to say. So he proceeds, proceeds by providing a number of summary arguments to support that high priesthood of Christ Jesus, our Lord. And he says, it is, it is without doubt in my heart superior to that of Aaron. See, the priesthood of Christ is without doubt far more superior than that of Aaron. We're going to talk about that in just a moment here. By use, if you will, of the word argument, I mean the author presents us a coherent series of statements, however brief, leading from a proposition or statement expressing an opinion to a conclusion. And that conclusion is the result of all that has been said to the Christian church of his day and what is being said to the Christian church of today. Within this summary of arguments lies four points. And there are four points of emphasis, if you will. Number one, Christ's moral sufficiency. Number two, Christ's completed word, uh, word rather, Christ's heavenly position 
and then number four, write higher exaltation. Let's take a look at the first point under this under this covenant. New, new covenant is ministered by Christ as the as the superior priest, and then we're going to move right on from there. Christ's moral sufficiency. We have such an high priest, what the scripture says. The author is drawing our attention back to what he did. Previously discussed in verses 22 and 28 of chapter 7. That's what he's doing. He says, For such an high priest, they claim us. That is, one who is absolute power, absolute eternal in his being, who has been given to us and alone is, is able to answer our sinful condition. Nobody else can do that. No one else can answer that. Christ is so perfect and so pure that he was able to satisfy the debt for our sin. So don't miss this. The fact that Jesus is morally sufficient and at the same time identified with us in our need and moral struggles makes him superior to all other priests that came before and after him. It makes him morally superior to me, to every preacher that stands behind the pulpit, every evangelist, every missionary. He is superior to all. In fact, the truth of the matter is, if it weren't had not been for Christ, I would be standing here and there would be no preacher. They'd still be living in the stone ages. They'd still be Cutting people's feet off if they stole something or, or if they were enslaved. Cutting their feet off to keep them from running away or they cut their hands off if they stole something or they killed them if they did it. Some people are doing, some religions are doing that today. They advocate that. When I was in Hergana, Egypt, I walked around that Egypt, that, that city there, and I saw men who had their feet of one foot cut off or one hand cut off. And my inquiry is that somebody stole something or this or the other. But the point is, if you cut their hands off, they will never be able to work it and get a meeting for God and take care of themselves. If you cut the foot off, they may so they can't do anything. What kind of sense does that make? It makes no sense whatsoever. You teach them a lesson, and now they become a burden. And so the problem now is they can't work to do the job that they could do if they were old because you decided you wanted to take their homes away from them. You wanted to teach them a lesson. And the, and the fact of the matter is, they're probably bigger crooks than the ones that they punish. And they're living piously, thinking that they're all of that. No, 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 no. That's not why God, that's not why Christ came. It is that same group of people or religious that denies that Jesus died and that, and that he remained in the grave three days and then he rose and then he was ascended into heaven. That same one, that same religion. So, please listen. The fact that Jesus is morally sufficient and at the same time identifies with us in our needs and moral struggles make him superior to all other priests that came before and after. It doesn't matter what religion you are. Jesus Christ is superior to them all. He is superior to them all, period. Those to whom the Hebrews author directs his epistle who desire to revert back into Old Testament priesthood practice would have to leave Christ, our Savior, 
and our Lord, who is sufficient, high priest. What kind of sense does that make? No, I understand the pressures, my brothers and sisters. I understand how you get tempted because things are not going the way that you thought they would go when you gave your life to Christ. Things are still happening. Yes, things are going to continue to happen, but you have to take comfort in the fact that you are saved, that Christ has died for you, that you are, you are, you are a new beginning. You are a new creature now because he does not hold your past against you and your future he has put before you that is brighter than what you're going through right now. Listen, the suffering of this time will never be compared to the glory that's going to be revealed in you in the last day. So let me tell you something. Hold on to your faith. Don't grow weak. Don't grow weary. I know it's hard, but hold on to your faith with everything. You know how you hold on to every dollar you get? Hold on to Christ more tighter than that because I promise you, if you don't quit, if you don't give up, if you don't, if you don't faint, Christ will bring you through whatever you're going through because he is coming through with you. He's not leaving you by yourself. I know it feels like you by yourself, but let me tell you something. He's going through it with you. Trust me on that. Here's the second, here's the second point of his four points here. And that is that he has, that we talk about now, is Christ's completed work at the, at the very moment, at this very moment, Jesus is seated because he has completed his work. Just like God rested on the seventh day from all of his work, that is all his creating, he, Jesus Christ is not seated because he has completed all of his work on earth. Everything that needed to be done to grant you and I eternal life has been done. It's just that simple. So this contrasts the Old Testament tabernacle in that there were no chairs provided for any of the priests to be seated upon. Go back to the scriptures. Read the scriptures for yourself. See if God ever told Moses to take a chair for the priests to sit down in the, in the, in the holy place. And not a local holy place, but just in the holy place. You will see that no chair is missing whatsoever. And those priests, they did not. So that speaks of their inferiority to Christ right there. Christ is seated because he has completed everything that needs to be done. What they did was temporary. What they did simply covered the problem up. It did not wipe away the problem. What they did did not satisfy the conscience. It could not clear the conscience of the sin that was embedded in it. Oh, Lord. Many of you who have been saved a long time still got little good things in you. And, and when the right button is pushed, you just go you just go off. Go off before you know it. So don't, don't really, really don't think, don't count yourself being better than anybody else thinking that because you're saved, that's it, and that you, that you're free from anything. Else. No, we all have some little stuff in us that we have yet to turn over to the Lord. And I, and I don't understand why we haven't yet. Maybe because we don't remember it, but as soon as it comes up, repent of it and give it to God and walk away from it. That's how I work with the Spirit of God will bring to you remember certain things at certain times in order for you to take that, that action. So each, so, so the priest didn't have anything to sit on, and this is because the priest's work was never completed. Their work was consistent continuously, ongoing, ongoing. Each repeated sacrifice was only a reminder 
that not one of them was capable of providing a completed salvation. Glory to God. God forgave them with a sin offering, but it still did not give them salvation because the word was not in their heart, because the word was not in their heart. It did not change their conscience. So the blood of animals did not cleanse people from their sin or cleanse that did their conscience from guilt. It merely covered sin until that day when Jesus Christ died to take away the sin of the world. John 1.29. Here's the third point. That Christ's heavenly position, and that is, it is important to note not so much that, Jesus, that our Lord is seated on, and so much as where he is seated. See, we, we get caught up in the fact that he's seated, but we lose sight of the fact of where he is seated. And that, this is good. This is good. And this is because of priests. And this is because uh, what this does, if you will, let me, let me tell you what this does, uh, what this does, if you will, is it adds praise. Worth it. It adds praise. Worthiness uh, to both who he is and his work. It is important to know not so much that our Lord is seated in so much as it, as it is where he is seated. And this adds great worthiness, if you will, if I might repeat myself, to both who he is and his work. He is positioned on the throne in heaven at God's right hand. What would you say the symbolization of being seated at God's right hand really be? What would you say? Well, let me just put it to you this way. This fact is stressed in several places within the Hebrew scriptures. Number one, First, uh, yes, uh, first, uh, yes, chapter one, verse three, which says, "Who being the brightness of his glory and express image of his person, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high." That's the first one. And then the second one is Hebrews chapter ten, verse twelve. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for the sins forever. He sat down at the right hand of God. And the third uh, passage of scripture in this book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 2, is looking unto Jesus, uh, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and now he is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. That majesty is God. And Jesus Christ is seated right next to him. And what that simply means is that Jesus Christ uh, uh, is heavenly positioned uh, and it was fulfilled, it was a fulfillment of God's promise to his son that if you sit at my right hand until I make your enemy your footstool, uh, not only did the high priest of Israel never sit down in the tabernacle, Never. But neither sat he down upon a cross. Only Jesus Christ, as high priest, after the order of Melchizedek, only he could be enthroned 
For now, Melchizedek was both king and priest, and Jesus Christ is our king. He is our priest, and he is our God. Number four, Christ's highest exaltation. That's the fourth point. And that is Jesus is in heaven. You can't get any higher than heaven. Because heaven is where the throne of God is located. Jesus Christ, in his return to heaven, why do I say return? Go to John chapter 17, verse 5, and you'll find me for two more times. Because I want to get this to you, and I don't want you to be confused. But in his own time, John chapter 17, verse 5 says, And now, Father, Jesus prays, talking to the Father in preparation for returning to where he was. Glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Uh, Jesus Christ is in his return to heaven and his exaltation, he passed through the heavens, that is the clouds, and then the second heaven, which is the atmosphere, which is the, what we call out of space, the extraterrestrial area there, until the, until the heaven of heaven, where God himself is. And Paul sometimes talks of it as called to the third heaven. He's past our atmosphere. He's past the, 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 the stars, the stars of that, and, and the galaxies and all of those things. And he's high above that to the third heaven. He's where God is. So, don't miss it. Christ is now exalted as high priest, as, and as high as anyone can be. If you turn in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20 through 23 real quick. The Ephesians, and I'm going to have to try again here. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 20 and through 23. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 20 through 23. If you have to mark down, you're probably already there. Chapter 1, verses 20 through 23. Chapter 1, verses 20 through 23, rather. And it says this. Which he worked in Christ. Let me just start. Let me go back up to verse 15. I'm just there with me. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith, Paul talking, uh, in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do I do not cease to give thanks to you, making mention of you in my prayer, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and of knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his glory, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above principalities and powers and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And we and he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Let me tell you something. He is exalted. 
book after Ephesians. So turn from, from right to left now. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. And then I'm, I'm going to be finishing. We'll, we'll, um, let me close out this, this last one here. This is my last one. And we'll pick up next week and try to complete the, the entire uh, chapter on next Sunday. But he says this in, in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. He says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not think it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God, here we go, also has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow of things in heaven, of things in the earth, and things under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let me tell you something. Jesus Christ is highly exalted above anyone and anything and he's done what no one else in all of humanity could have done. And he's done what no one else in humanity after him could ever do. He did it once for all for everyone. He became the perfect sacrifice. He became the perfect only way out to get to God. You can't get to God through all these new things, things of these old practices and these things that get this and that. Even you, you can't even get back to God any kind of way, and you can't get to him at all except through Christ. I know that's a lot to take in, but trust me, Christ left with this ministry. If Jesus called me uh, over 24 years ago, you are going to get on your knees, you're going to pass, and you're going to bring millions to me. I believe that with all my heart. And the first thing that came out of my God, I needed education. I need an education. And so I started going to school and I started studying and work. And I mean, I sit and every morning I get I get up and I sit down and I read and I hold to the Bible. Um, and I and you know, when I read it, then I say how good God is. Is that when you read the scripture and you read through the Bible, God shows how many times. But as you're reading, you'll read a passage of scripture. And the Spirit of God will take you all the way back to that same word, and maybe say it's a slightly different way, take you back to the book in the Old Testament that spiraled onto the book of the New Testament, the scripture that you're reading in the New Testament. That's how good he is. He always brings you back. So the word, and he uses the word to interpret the word to give us understanding and clarity in his word. And that's so important, my brothers and sisters, for us to understand that. Well, let me just conclude. Now, I, I'm, I'm concluding now, but I want to say this. If you are here and you join us uh, by way of Meerkat, or if you're here in the sanctuary and that talks you, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of your sins, then please don't hang up. Please don't close out your, your system yet. Please hold on because I want you to hear this. This is important. This is very, very important. If you don't know Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of your sin, he is ready right now to forgive you of your sin. Whether you're in, and he can save you, whether you're right there in your bedroom, whether 
whether you're right there in your living room, whether you're sitting at the dining room table, whether you're driving down the road and listening. But I pray that you're not you're not typing or watching or anything while you're operating your vehicle. I pray that you're at a complete stop somewhere safe where you can hear this message. Wherever you are, Jesus Christ can save you. If you're in the coal mine of 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 uh, West Virginia, he's in the coal mines of West Virginia, and you can hear this message. God can save you right there. If you're under the sea and you can receive this message, God can save you right there. If you are in in faith right now, God can receive you into His kingdom right now. It does not matter where you are because God is every place at the same time. And so, if you don't know Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of your sins, you can have that today. You can have eternal life today by confessing Him as your Savior and your Lord. We'll get to that in this moment. If you're looking for a church home, and the Spirit of the Lord is speaking to you to become a part of Jesus Christ's ministry global. We love to have you be a part of this ministry. Thirdly, if you have a relationship with God, to somehow fill out a relationship with Him, I'm telling you now, He is married to the backslider, so says the word, and He says, Return to me. He wants you to return to Him, and He will receive you back into Himself and forgive you. He, he's a God. He, that's who He is. He's just a God that loves you so much that he just wants you to come to him, but he will never force himself on you. He will never threaten you with death. He will never threaten you with physical bodily harm. He will never threaten you with anything. He'll simply wait for you to come or not come. But it is your choice because he's given you free will. Fourthly, um, if you are on the call and you're in this area and you need a church home to watch over you, watch over you, to pray for you, and to minister the word of God to you, and that when you finish, you can return home to your home church and help your pastor fulfill the vision that God has called him or her to. And finally, if you're in need of prayer, please feel free to contact us. We'd love to pray with you and for you. I know some of you are sitting there right now and you're wondering, uh, does prayer work? And the answer is yes. And God's timing, God's purpose, God's will, God will hear and God will respond. I promise you, He will respond. In some way, you may not like the way you respond, but I promise you, he will respond. Because he's a God that keeps his word. He says, Jesus said this, if you ask anything in my name, as the Father, anything in my name, you'll do it for me. So I believe in it. And, and uh, Mark chapter 11, verse 24 says, when the word of God, when you pray, believe you receive them, and you will receive them. I believe that with all my heart. Therefore, I believe in prayer, because I'm a living witness that I that when I have prayed in the past, God has responded. I'm praying now for some things, and I and, and there's a stirring inside of me, and I know that it is the Lord moving by His Spirit that God heard me, that God is going to do some things for me, to do the things. And I'm not asking for personal things for me, just so much as I'm asking for the things for the ministry. That's all I'm doing. My heart's desire is to change communities and change families, and we have got to do that. We've got to reach families, and then we can reach individual families, and, and we can reach mothers and fathers and children and teach them the Word of God, and then they begin to walk that Word out and live that Word in their own lives. They can impact other families and other people in their communities. And before you know it, we won't be communities that are afraid to go out and, and, and you know, sit on the floor. Old people won't be afraid to go and sit out on the porch or stand out there in the yard with their cane and watch the children play in the yard and have an art in the road and 
have fun because that's what God says. This is what I want as well. God wants us to be in such peace and such joy and such security in him that he gave Jesus Christ. So in any of these areas, if you don't know any of the forgiveness of your sin, he's ready to forgive you. If you don't have a church home, please consider making Jesus Christ ministry global your church home. If you walk away from him, please, right now, turn around and give your life come back to him, and he will receive you. If you are away from your church home, don't be out of church. Become, come and join us and then on our watch here program, and afterwards you can turn home. And don't no, no, no longer an obligation, I promise you. And there will be no pressure for you to stay. That will be between you and God. I just want to make sure that you are covered, that you that the word is being ministered to you, and that you being prayed for, covered every day. And then, of course, if you're in prayer, look, if you're in prayer, that's what we're here for. We're here to pray for. That's what we're here to do. We just want you to know Christ and to begin to live a life worthy of who you who He created you to be. That's all we want. So if you if you don't know Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of your sin, repeat this prayer after you to the dear Lord God. I know that I am a sinner and I cannot save myself. Please forgive me for the sins I've committed. I believe that Jesus Christ came into the world and died for my sins on the cross. And that he rose from the grave on the third day, and that he is now seated at your right hand. Dear Jesus, come to my heart, be my Savior, and be my Lord. I repent of my sins, and I promise you, from this point forward, as you give me strength, I will seek to serve you in every area of my life. And then for the backsliders, I want to return to the Lord, saying, Dear God, please forgive me for turning my back on you and walking away. I repent of my sin, and I ask you to receive me back into your good grace. I promise that as you give me strength, I will seek to serve you in every area of my life from this point forward. Father, I thank you for those who pray this prayer. Not only, Lord, do I ask you to hear their prayer, but I thank you for hearing their prayer and granting them eternal life. I also thank you, Lord God, and ask that you can thank you for giving them, filling them or baptizing, if you will, with your Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. I cannot physically touch them, lay hands on them, but spiritually I lay my hands upon their head. And I pray now in the name of Jesus, receive ye the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, it is offering time. It's time to worship the Lord in our giving. This morning as we prepare to give our time and offering, we want to give cheerfully for the Bible says, God loves the person who gives cheer. So, he says, he will generously provide all you need, and then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to help or share with others. That is so important to remember. We thank you today for joining us in service. I'm going to turn you over to our executive pastor so that she can uh, make an announcement here before we uh, exit. 
Thank you for joining us on the Earth Chat. Remember, you can follow us also on Twitter and Facebook. You also can follow us on TalkShoe.com. We also can be found on the web. Our uh, address is one.org And you will have to write out the number one. Once again, it is jcmglobal, G-L-O-B-A-L, O-N-E dot org. Thank you for joining us again. We look forward to seeing you next Sunday. Amen? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It has been a joy and a pleasure to minister today as we do Sunday. I am never tired of doing this. I am never tired of serving the Lord. I am so grateful. I am so grateful to the Lord. If this word is ministered to you, if this one of our women's items, let us know, or get on Twitter or Facebook, or, or, um, or just uh, send us a quick um, postcard or something in our P.O. box. Uh, Jesus Christ Ministries Global, P.O. Box 1163, Indian Edge, Maryland, 20640. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, because we want to know if we are ministering to someone and we're ministering if the word is really reaching someone. I'd like to know how you like the same now that you begin to hear the word of the Lord uh, through this ministry. It's not for my uh, big head or anything like that because I, I, you know, my primary concern is that you and everyone who hears the message of, of, of the gospel of Jesus Christ or get their lives to Jesus Christ, but again, to serve them. Uh, and, and that's the main thing that I want. I'm not asking by anybody for anything other than, you know, give your life to Christ. That's what's most important. Give your life to Christ and begin to read the Word of God and begin to walk. Start applying the Word to your life on a daily basis. Don't let a day go by where you don't read, and you don't read the Word of God, and you don't spend time talking to God in prayer, and then spend time in the presence of God by keeping your mouth closed and just listening to hear from the Lord. These are so important because prayer is not a dialogue, but it's not a monologue, but a dialogue between God and us. We not only talk talk to God, but we also require that God talk to us so that we can do it as well. I'm so grateful to each and every one of you. I thank God for you. I pray that your week will be a blessing, a productive week of safety, and that the Lord will allow you to return to be with us again on that Sunday. Thank you, and God bless you. at 47 Washington. Somebody from Virginia was on talk.